it. All right. Hey, it was your typical summer season. Hot and muggy, that's right, temperatures, and left the people wishing for rain to bring this heat to an end. Man. But little did these people know that just in a matter of days, a rainstorm would come, and it would not only bring an end to the heat, but their lives as well. First, it formed over the Bahamas, then it crossed to uh, Florida, where it caused just a few deaths and some mild flooding, but that was just the beginning. Now it had its uh, taste of blood, if you will, and the storm grew rapidly, and it became one of the largest ever of its kind recorded at sea. In fact, so horrific was this beast that 1.2 million people fled in utter terror. But the real terror began when it hit the shores of Louisiana. It did with winds topping 125 miles an hour. It caused complete obliteration of trees, buildings, bridges, cars, and yes, even people. It knocked out power, it flooded everything in its path, and it drowned everyone in its wake. But even for those who managed to survive the initial onslaught, their fate wasn't much better. Suddenly, the levees around the city had failed, and, and then rather than protecting the people as they were designed, they were now entombing the people in a watery grave. And when the cries had finally silenced and the water had finally gone down, the damage was assessed. Listen, whole complete cities throughout several states were totally demolished, covering some 90,000 square miles. And scores of dead bodies were lying around or even floating in streets for days before anybody could even get there and collect them. It was one of the most destructive and costliest disasters in the history of the United States. The year was 2005. The disaster, of course, was... Hurricane Katrina. Okay, I finally picked one that people, most of us know, amen? Okay, <laughs> i tell you what. Uh, but, uh, but I think we could all agree, hey, that was a, a horrible disaster, right? One of the worst disasters. One of the worst disasters in our own country, right? But once again, folks, you know the theme, with all due respect to those who lost their lives in Hurricane Katrina. What if I were know, uh, to tell you I know of a disaster that makes Hurricane Katrina look like a game of hopscotch? Okay, And what if I were to tell you that this disaster didn't occur at just one place at one time in one country, but it's going on right now today all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Once again, we're talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And again, the facts are this, folks. we got to wake up. We don't battle here and there as Christians once in a while, just once in a blue moon, or whenever that proverbial exciting day Bobby comes along okay no we go to war every single day in fact the moment you got saved whether you see it feel it believe it or not you just entered into Christian a spiritual war against a real life demonic host whose sole purpose every single day is to take you out is to destroy your effectiveness and your walk with Jesus Christ and so in order for you and I to stop getting duped and unnecessarily so beat up spiritually all over the place we're going to continue in our study the satanic war on the Christian now again we've already seen if you're going to win a war We've got the victory through Christ, but that first step is what do you got to do? You got to know who your enemy is. Then the second thing we saw is you need to know what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactics of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction from your enemy. And the last seven times, the fifth thing, was the temptation of our enemy. How he is out there and his evil cohorts, the demons, tempting us every single day, whether you see it or not. It's real. It's really going on. And how they're out there every day tempting us to sin against God. Christian, it's real. And the last two times we saw the fourth temptation he fires at you and I is the temptation of the terrified Christian. And what we saw, and Lord willing, we're going to get into massive detail. That's right, you got to say it like that too for emphasis. Massive, massive detail next week. We're going to get into the armor of God and how we just need to stand firm in God. Just do what he says. Put the armor on, appropriate it, praise God, mission accomplished, move forward. But that's what we saw the last two weeks here before we even get to that in great detail. This is what the enemy does. 
He, he tricks us into not utilizing the practical tools that God gives us in the Scripture. God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He gives us practical tools in the Scripture to overcome temptation. He's always providing a way out. Just do what he says, stand firm in Christ, and have a great day. But we saw that's what the enemy does. He tricks us into going to some man-made route, something, anything, than what the Bible says to do, and we end up living terrified lives. We're all beat up. Okay, and what we saw there, if you're going to follow God's practical tools, to use the football analogy, you need to develop a good offense, which we saw you got to stay sharp, you got to stay away, hello, and you need to spring clean once in a while. Then last week we built on that with a good defense as well, and the Bible says you want to experience that victory, you need to speak up in prayer, you need to soak up the scripture, you need to stay steadfast in the faith, and when you blow, Christian, because it's going to happen, right, then what do you do? You stand back up. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ guarantees that I can get back up every single time. You get back up off the battlefield and start swinging again. Amen? That's the good news. That's what we need to deal with. But I'm still preaching, Sandy, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, Sandy. There's got to be more, and there is. That's right. The fifth temptation that the enemy fires at you and I, uh, and dare I say, probably one of the most deadliest, sneakiest ones, and that's this. He will actually turn us into, listen, a traitorous Christian. Oh, turn to somebody and say, don't be Benedict Arnold. Don't do it. Don't turn. Don't you dare. But again, folks, let's take a look at what God has to say. Believe it or not, Paul called the Jewish people of his day out on the carpet for their traitorous behavior, okay? And uh, what kind of a message that was sending to the lost around them. Don't do that, okay? Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 17 through 24, the context here. And Paul, of course, uh, is writing the book of Romans 2. The Romans, you guys are on the ball as you turn there. Romans chapter 2, let's go ahead and stand as we read the word of God. But here's what Paul says. He says, now listen, I love this. Paul, Paul's, I love, he uses sarcasm. Isn't that cool? Right? You got to be careful of that because you get in trouble. But listen to what he says. He says, now to you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and, what's he say? Brag about your relationship with God. And if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you, oh, look at you, so spiritual, you're a guide for the blind, you're a light for those who are in the dark, you're, you're, oh, you're an instructor of the foolish, those little things, you're just, you're just, oh, and a teacher of those infants, and because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you what? He turns it, man. Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, oh, all your knowledge, what you know. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Listen, as it is written, God's name is what? It is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. You may be seated if you can. Wow. How many guys would say this? A little bit of a rebuke there. Just a little bit, okay? And what's the context? What's Paul calling these people out on? He's calling the Jewish people at that time, okay, right? Who's, oh, yeah, we're the people of God, right? Making big boasts about, yeah, we belong to God. We got the law. We got this. We got all that stuff. He called them out, the so-called people of God. They had a major problem in their walk with God, and Paul called it out. Cut to the chase, right? Sets him up, and he says this. They were big on, listen, bragging about being the people of God. They were big on having a relationship with God. They were being bragging, oh, yeah, look at us. We have the actual law from God. But when all was said and done, what? They weren't being obedient to God. You catch it? 
Oh, yeah, you're the people of God. You got all this. And you let everybody know. You look good. You go through the, the thing. And, and you got the law. And you got the temple. And you got this. And you got the heritage. And you got that. And all that. But you don't even obey him. You tell other people, don't you dare do that. God says don't do this. God says don't do that. God said, but, but you don't even do it yourself. You brag about being the people of God. But when all is said and done, you're not obedient to God yourself. You're a, what do they say in the South? Hypocrite. <laughs> hypocrite. Right? That's what's going on. You hypocrites. How could you sit there and point fingers at people, man? And you ain't even doing it. That's what he's calling them out. Now, here's my point. That's just step one. So he calls that out. Right? You say you're the people of God, but you're not obedient to God. But here's my point. What did he say that kind of behavior, that kind of hypocrite, hypocritical behavior was doing to God? You are blaspheming the name of God. It isn't just, oh, yeah, all right, so you got us. You got us. Yeah, we're being hypocrites. Yeah, we say, don't do that, don't do that. And we do it too. You're blaspheming the name of God. And folks, can I tell you something? That's called being a traitor. And it's this kind of traitor's behavior. It doesn't just, believe it or not, did you know this? It doesn't occur just with the Jewish people 2,000 years ago that Paul's addressing in the book of Romans. Did you know, unfortunately, that this kind of traitor's behavior goes on today, even in the church? Even today. I mean, we do the same thing. Oh, yeah, I'm Christian. I'm a child of God. I'm a son and daughter of the king. Woo! But do you live like it? Folks, even the world can smell the same hypocrisy miles away. Or if they're following you behind the car, like this guy. Listen to this. He said, I was sitting. He's supposed to be a Christian. He said, I was sitting in a stoplight one morning, and the lady in front of me, I'm going to church services, right? And the lady in front of me, uh, she was going through some papers in the front seat of her car, and the, the, the light had changed green, and she did not obey its command. Because we all know that a green light is a commandment, not a suggestion. Amen? Yeah, you're nervous. <laughs> well, when the light turned red, he said, he said, she still hadn't moved. So I began with my windows up, of course, screaming strange words and beating on my steering wheel. And my expressions of distress were interrupted by a policeman, gun drawn, tapping at my window. Well, even though I protested to the police officer, hey, you can't arrest me for hollering in my own car, he ordered me to the backseat of his. So after about two hours in the holding cell, the arresting officer advised me that I was free to go. And I said, ha! I knew you couldn't arrest me for yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. And the police officer said, well, hey, listen, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your own car. You see, I was directly behind you at the light. And I saw you screaming and beating on your steering wheel. And, but then I was realizing there was nothing I could do for you throwing a fit in your own car. But then he said, I noticed the cross hanging from your rearview mirror and the, the bright yellow Choose Life license tag and the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker and that fish symbol. And I thought for sure you must have stolen the car. <laughs> Praise God Ken was able to still get here this morning. And, you know, I just, you know, whoever that was, I'm not sure. But, uh, anyway, but hey, we laugh about that because what? It's so true, but listen to the sting, folks. This behavior, oh, you got the right signs. You got the right external look. You got the right feel, whatever. But on the inside, the world's watching, man. Really? You're a Christian? One guy, he's a Christian musician, uh, not Ken. And, uh, but uh, he talks about this behavior when he traveled all across America. He said, I, I played in every denominational church I can think of. 
And he said, as a result, I've discovered what the world hates most about Christianity. He says, you know what it is? He said, it's Christians. He said, now, it would be okay if they hated us for the right reasons, you know, for our love and our joy and our good deeds. And he says, but the problem is they hate us for our hypocrisy. And we don't like to admit that the world is tired of hearing us say, praise the Lord. They're tired of, of seeing the bumper stickers without seeing something Christ-like going on inside the car. They're tired of our t-shirt philosophy and our rings and our necklaces and our phonias. And they're hungry and thirsty for the truth. They want to see Christians being Christians or to elsewhere just another trip. He says, listen, guys, we are in a sorry mess. The world is sick of it. God is sick of it. Listen, it's enough to make him vomit. And it just doesn't, man, that's, that's what we're going to get into, Lord willing, next week. Seven churches of Asia. And there is one that God, let you, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Whoa. But it doesn't just make this hypocrisy. It, what, it, what, it blasphemes the name of God. And listen, it doesn't just make God want, get out of here, get, get out of my mouth. But folks, it does the same thing to the world. The world sees this, and they call it out on the carpet, rightly so. It's not a good witness, like this guy shares. Let's take a look. Now, ain't that a laugh? The whole blasted world is blowing up in our faces, and what are we doing about it? What's religion doing about it? What's the church people doing about it? Except sitting on benches and singing hymns, and then start yapping about sweetness and light. Boy, oh boy. Look how that sweetness and light is saving the world. Why, if they had half the guts of half of the guys in this outfit, they'd shut their big fat mouths and start doing something about it and quit their lousy psalm singing. No. They put a couple of bucks in the collection plates and start singing hallelujah. They're doing a lot more than you think. The trouble with you, Burr, is you're too busy shooting off your mouth to find out. Yeah? Well, what about that brotherly love they're always spouting? Maybe we could use some of that brotherly love around here. Like those kids we saw in the village living in those stinking, rotten houses. Maybe they could use some of it. And those mothers crying their eyes out. And those scabby old guys dying in the streets. Maybe they ain't neighbors, is that it? Well, sure they are, but you can't expect the people in the churches to change the whole world overnight. Baloney. They've had 2,000 years to do it in. What have they got to show for it? And if those starch shirts who sit with their hands folded over their big, fat bellies every Sunday really mean what they say about religion helping people, why don't they do something about it? Why don't they quit shining pews with the seat of their pants and get over here and get to work? Or are they afraid they'll get their pretty manicures all mussed up? If you ask me, they're all a bunch of lousy, stinking hypocrites. They're gold brickers, all of them. They ought to put up or shut up! You ever wonder... When we're acting hypocritical, Christian, even myself, and we think nobody's looking, but odds are they are. You ever wonder how those conversations that we never hear go? Maybe something like that. But can I tell you something? God sees and hears every one of those conversations. And as Paul says, that's not just being hypocritical. You're blaspheming the name of God. Oh, yeah, you belong to God. Yeah, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. You need to put up or shut up is what Paul is basically saying here. And here's the point. That's bad enough that it happens, it goes on, and we're blaspheming the name of God. But the point is, guess who also knows this? The devil. 
This is spiritual warfare, folks, 101. Here's what he does. Because basically, how do you get into that state? How do you get to that state where you actually, you got all the external trappings, but you could basically, in essence, give a rip about sin? You don't care about your witness. You don't care about if other people are talking about it. You don't care if you're saying all the right stuff, but you're doing all the wrong stuff. Well, you know what that is? It's called a light attitude towards sin. You don't care about it. No big deal. Cheap grace, whatever you want to call it. Whatever the phraseology is. Well, how do you get into that? Well, folks, I'm telling you, that's the enemy. Because guess what? When we first got saved, that wasn't our attitude, was it? Absolutely not, man. We wanted to do anything and everything to please Jesus. Why? Because he saved us completely by his grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's all on the cross of Christ. And it was just, whoo, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And we were so sensitive to sin. It's like, oh, I'll never do that again. No, I don't want to displease God. Oh, I don't want to be a bad witness. No, I'll refrain from. But you know, when you get older and wiser as a Christian, and you see other Christians doing it too. You begin to rationalize. That's a light attitude towards sin. Folks, that's exactly what the enemy does. Okay, and here's what he does. Here's how I've learned that he gets us into that attitude, Christian. Here's how he, he knows he can't take away our victory over sin. He knows he can't take away what God gives us, the armor of God. Okay, but here's what he does. He gives us into giving up the fight against sin. It's called, he just demoralizes us. He, he, and he, he, maybe you've heard this voice. He goes out, he sounds like this. He says, hey, Christian, come on now. How long have you been saved now, huh? Child of God. How's it working out for you? Aren't you getting sick and tired of fighting to get sin? I mean, come on. Day after day after day, you got to say no to this temptation. You got to say no to that temptation. You can't do this. You got to do that. I mean, gee whiz, you think if God would love you, he'd put a stop to this temptation, at least bring it down. I mean, come on. But every single day, apparently just keeps coming for no reason at all. And you're just having to deal with all this burden. And aren't you just ready to just give in? Aren't you tired yet? Aren't you sick and tired of the war, the battle, having to fight this every day? Come on. I mean, just, just, just do it. God will forgive you. No big deal. You ever hear that voice? That ain't the Holy Spirit. And this is what gets us into that. Folks, it happens little by little every day to get us to turn into this, frankly, treacherous belief system. It leads to a traitorous life. And again, part of that is thinking that there's no rhyme or reason, listen, even in our temptation. But as we saw with our study on the sovereignty of God, 10 weeks, can you believe that? How many guys got that all memorized? Praise God for your honesty. I have to call you out. That was close, Bobby, for lying. But But as we saw on the sovereignty of God, God, listen, we're responsible for our decisions, but God is sovereign. And he's in control of all things. In fact, what we're going to see is he's, listen, he is not the author of temptation, but he is so sovereign, he is so powerful that, listen, he'll even take the evil, wicked temptations that come our way and he'll flip it around for our good. Do you realize that? And so that's what I want to talk to you about. Okay, how do you dispel this attitude towards this? Listen, even the temptations we go through can still be something positive. Just don't give in to this attitude. Oh, forget it, I'll just give in. No, learn what God's trying to teach you. Understand the blessing in the midst of it, okay? So that's what I want to see. The first positive reason, why does God allow temptation? Again, he's not the author of it. Hello, that, that's, that's blaspheming his name. But why would he allow it to come? Well, we see in the scripture, one reason, and believe it or not, it's for our good, is to humble us. God will allow it to come to humble us. You ever get too big for your britches? Right? Okay. Well, guess what God will do? He loves you. He'll allow some trials, even spiritual warfare. Now, listen, we see this example with the great example, the Apostle Paul, 
right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. What Paul say? To keep me from becoming what? Conceited. What's conceited? Begum headum. We get big head, right? Why? Because of these surpassingly great revelations. Not just he got revelations. He didn't just get great revelations. Paul got what? I can't even describe this man. It's so surpassingly great revelations. He was caught up into the third heaven of God. It just he got he got told things that you and I will never be privy to, right? I mean, this is whoa, right? And he says, now to keep me from ruining that, from being conceited, there was given me what? A thorn in my flesh. What was it? A messenger, angelos, angel of who? What's that? That's a demon. I, 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 this is what the Bible says. It's a demon. So God allowed a demon to, to, to play with Saul, to, to, no, to torment him. Why? And, and Paul says, well, man, that was crazy. So I pleaded with the Lord to please take it away from me. But God said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my power, God's power is made perfect in what? weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I get it. I see what God's doing. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions, even in difficulties. Why? Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Folks, the Bible tells us, listen, God had given the Apostle Paul some incredible revelations. It's over the top. Okay, again, other passages, you, you look at it, you continue on. He was caught up to the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God the Father. And so Paul invested some stuff in Paul. I mean, and, and so here's the problem. What could have happened to Paul if God didn't intervene? What happens when somebody knows something that nobody else does? Oh, you poor people. You know, it's just like the Jewish people in Romans 2, right? We've got the law. <laughs> we provide the sight for you blind folks. Oh, you little babies. If only we were mature like the rest of us. You can see Paul. Can you imagine? We talked about this before. Can you imagine Paul at a board meeting trying to make a decision? Everybody's throwing out their ideas, and the whole, everybody gets a consensus. Yeah, I think we should do that. And Paul, every single time, he could do this if he wanted to. He could trumpet and go, excuse me. You know, I know you guys think that's a great idea. <laughs> I'll give you a golf clap for that idea. That was awesome. But do you realize who I am? I am Paul. I, yes, Paul, was taken to the third heaven. I had these revelations that, unfortunately, you never got. <laughs> I think you better listen to what I say. You know what I'm saying? You can see that, man, Paul was blessed on the one hand, but God better do something to counteract. Or what? It was going to mess the whole thing up. Paul was going to get a big old head. He was going to get conceited. And so here's the point. What did God do to protect Paul from this dangerous sin, from ruining the work of God? He humbled Paul with what? Spiritual warfare. A literal demon to what? Not play with Paul, not tickle Paul, but to torment Paul. And you're thinking, well, man, that's crazy. Why would God do that? Because it was his way to keep Paul from ruining the work of God. And folks, I don't know if you noticed this, but have you noticed that God, he does the same thing to you and I today? Sometimes things are going so well, you think you're cool, you're the sliced bread. Now, I've already told you guys from the pulpit, in great humility, the chocolate chip cookie story. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> so I'm going to let somebody else do it, okay? So watch what happened to this guy. You tell me if God didn't allow this guy to get a little bit humble, right? It just happens so fast. 
Let's take a look. I was in church a few years ago. I was in this big gig. It was like 1,500 people, and it went really, it went pretty good. I did okay, and uh, there was a big line of people asking for my autograph after the show. And I'm like, I was homeschooled. I could do this. So the first lady, she walks up to me. She goes, would you put your favorite Bible verse underneath your name for me? And I was like, uh-huh. So I took it, and I was like, Tim, my favorite verse is Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. But that night, I forgot the verse. I just blank. You know how sometimes your mind blanks? You know, like when you were dressing today. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's just like, what am I doing? And so anyway, I was like, I had to pick. I can't just write the Bible, you know. I knew it was a psalm, so it was a psalm. I just picked a psalm. So I picked, okay, Psalm 38, 7. I said, that can't be a bad one. So I, like an idiot, I did them all like that. So Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38, 7. <laughs> I'm driving home that night, and I'm like, oh, no. I hope that was a good verse. Oh, Lord, help me. So I get home and I look up Psalm 38, 7 in my Bible. And to my horror, it says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Yeah, yuck it up, Christians. That's real funny, isn't it? Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Did you know that's in the Bible? I do now. And I signed it a hundred times and sent it out into my own little mission field. Take the word of my loin problem! Because you know they looked it up when they went home. You know they did. You see, lady, come on, y'all. We're going to read this first. Turn the TVs off. Sit around. I'm going to read it. It's his life first. I think I got it here. Shh. Lo, I have a painful disease. I shook his hand. <laughs> you believe that? Some of you don't get that. Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. You ain't gonna see that verse cross-stitched on a pillow. <laughs> Unless it's a special pillow, I guess. I don't know. So I'm not the only one. Uh, but you can see God, he loves us. Listen, it, was God torturing Paul? He was tormented, right? But in essence, was it for Paul's good that God allowed an actual demon to torment him? Yeah. Was it good, if you guys remember the me sitting in the chocolate chip cookie story doing the crab walk in the airport? You remember that story? No. Because the same problem. I was getting a big hit at that time. Was, is God trying to be mean to this guy here and all that stuff? And, you know, hey, sign my autograph. Right? No, he fixed that real quick, right? He's not trying to torture us. He's not doing it for no apparent reason at all, just to squeeze us and see what he can put us. Folks, he's doing it for our good. He's doing it to humble us. And, folks, I'm telling you, sometimes that's a positive purpose why we're going through temptation, God, again, is not the author of it. Satan is. That's very clear, okay? But God is so powerful, he'll take what the enemy means for evil, and he'll flip it around for good, even the temptation we go through. He's not trying to torture us. God isn't. He's trying to keep us from becoming conceited and ruining the work of God. Why? Because that's the only way that humility is produced. How many of you guys wish that you could go to Walmart and buy a can of humble sauce? Woo-hoo! Dump it on your head and mission accomplished. How many guys realize they don't sell it there? 
And they don't sell it there. You know why? Because that's not how it produces. You can't produce humility yourselves. What I've learned is a humble spirit is produced by going through humiliating circumstances. You know, as we talked before, in the original language, the word humble, you know what that means? To shave the top of the mountain off. You get too big, get big. <laughs> Maybe you're not so cool as you thought. <laughs> you know? Okay? And folks, believe it or not, that's one of the best things we could do. Why? Because listen, when we are humble, listen, the Bible is clear. That's when we receive God's grace. And it's God's grace that we need to ward off the temptation. I didn't say that. God did. This is what we see in this verse here, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But whatever I am, Paul says, back to Paul, again, his example, right? He said, it's all because of what? God. Notice he's not conceited. (laughs) God's technique works, right? It's all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. He's not bragging here. He's just telling you, this is the facts. I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet what? It was not I, but God who was working through me by what? What was the instrument? Where did God get the power? By the grace of God. Paul clearly understood the reason why he was able to work harder than any of the other apostles, do the amazing things that he did that we read about in the New Testament epistles, and it was only because of the grace of God. That tells us, guess what? God's technique worked. He is not the author of sin, but he'll use anything he can, including temptation, including spiritual warfare. If that's what it takes, a Bible verse that you just quoted off the top of your head, a chocolate chip cookie, whatever. But if that's what it takes to shave the mountain off so that you're humbled, because guess what? It's not because I'm trying to torture you. When you're humble, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the who? The proud. Pride short circuits us receiving. We're saved by the grace of God, but it's also God's grace that is needed to empower us to live the Christian life. And pride messes it up. So God will do whatever it takes to keep us from ruining the work. When pride goes up, grace goes down. When grace goes down, the power to ward off the temptations goes right out the window. So that's one of the ways that God will do it. He's doing it as a positive opportunity to humble us, make us more powerful and effective Christians like Paul. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? Okay? The second thing, the second positive reason why God would allow, he's not the author, he'll allow temptations, is to strengthen us. Okay? Time to hit the gym spiritually. Okay, and this is what we see with Peter after Peter blew it. Okay, all right, it wasn't meant to destroy him, right? It was meant to be the benefit of Peter, also other Christians. Here's what we see here Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus speaking, Simon, Simon, of course, Peter, who, what? Satan himself? This is spiritual warfare. Satan has asked to have all of you to sift you like wheat. But Jesus said, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when, not if, when you have repented and turned to me again, what do you do? You strengthen and build up your brothers. Do you see, Jesus was already looking past it. He knew what was coming, right? And even the case with Peter, okay? But the Bible says that Satan actually approached God for permission to, uh, stop right there. What does that tell you? Who's in control? God's in control. Even Satan himself has to get permission. That's good news. And also, what does that tell you? Nothing we go through in life is willy-nilly. 
God's in control. But there's some times that God will allow it to go through. But why? As we see here, it's another good reason. God didn't allow this to go through to destroy Peter. Uh, absolutely not. God's not being a meanie. He's not trying to torture Peter. He's not trying to make him feel bad for no reason at all. He's not trying to stretch him. Ha ha, how much can he take now? That's not what he's doing. God is a good and loving father, and he's got a positive purpose. And that was not to destroy Peter, but to strengthen Peter. What did he say there? When, not if, when you have repented. I know it's going to happen, but I also prayed for you, and I know you're going to turn around. Now, when you turn around and you confess it, you repent, you get right with me, you turn back to me, what do you do? I'll never, ever serve again. I lost because I quit. No, he didn't say that. Now, that's the response sometimes, isn't it? But the response is, when you fall, when you blow it, when you repent and get back and turn back to God, what do you do? What's he say there? Strengthen and build up your brothers. In essence, you know what God is doing here with Peter? He's using Peter's mistakes to make him spiritually stronger, right? Because that's how it happens when you work out and things of that nature, right? And again, because when, when you are in a spiritually uh, conceited state, Peter could do the same thing, right? I was the only one of you guys didn't do it. I got out of the boat, right? <laughs> right? Okay, so I gloved, gloved a little bit, but I'm the only one that did that, right? I'm the one that got the right answer. Jesus was the Messiah. You get in a spiritual conceited state, man, it's not good, right? And again, God will allow this to build our spiritual muscles. It's the same thing when it comes to natural muscles, right? In fact, let me give you some examples. I, I've been tracking, believe it or not, as the pastor here, I've been tracking the spiritual state of some of us here. Some good, some not good. All right? Well, let's start with this guy. All right? As you can see, Ken, unfortunately, he's got a big head. And he's getting conceited. Yeah, Ken, we know you're good. Okay, yeah, yeah, you can shred. I get that. Right? But, dude, don't get a big, giant head. Right? Like, yeah, that's not good. Right? Because that's actually a sign that you're spiritually weak. Right? You're spiritually weak, dude. Yeah. Put the shirt back on. Go ahead and say it to somebody. Okay. But <laughs> it's a, it just ain't working, Kim. That's not a good sign. Right? Oh, it looks good on the outside. But see, spiritually, this is really what's going on. Okay? Rather, what you need to do is you need to start to develop those spiritual muscles. Like John. See? Yeah, she paid me 25 bucks, John, to use that pit. No. <laughs> now, to John's credit, as we talked before last week, we start out as what? Babies. You don't always, when you get born again, you're not like, you know, spiritually strong like this, okay? No, you got to start out as a baby. So you can see John here. He started out as a Christian, right? Him and his space dog wrinkles, right? right? But John, he had the good trajectory, right? Yeah, day after day, you seek Christ. Even through the temptation, you keep pumping the iron, right? You keep saying no. You're going to build those muscles. And he gets back to that state. But that's not just John. See, sometimes individuals in the congregation, they step up to the plate. And they go to the leadership, right? And we got some seriously strong leadership. I mean, look at Ron. Ron is just so buff, right? I don't know about you, but I am scared to death to shake his hand. I just <laughs> break my knuckles, right, personally. Right. Oh, and hey, Bill Wimberly, chairman of the deacons. I mean, I tell you what, Bill's just messed up, right? And see what happens when you eat chicken? And Bill, how many times do we got to share that? All right. But hey, listen, uh, that's, unfortunately, that's not good, okay? <laughs> listen, Ron, he got, uh, Don Russell, Don, he's one of the deacons, right? That dude is buff. Look at that. He ain't got no neck, right? But who needs a neck when you got that kind of spirituality going on, right? He's just got it going. He's like a Marine Christian or something, man. He's just strong. Oh, and who forget up-and-coming leadership? We got the deacons, man. I tell you what, those guys are something, all right? I didn't touch that with Photoshop or nothing. They did that themselves voluntarily. <laughs> that is 
Ryan and JJ, a banana, and I'm not sure. We'll pray for them. But you guys can see. Oh, no, first of all, let me do a disclaimer. Ladies, I don't have time for this, with all due respect. Before you send me emails this week going, do my husband, do my husband. I, I don't have time for that. It took enough time to detour in that. But here's my point, okay? Let's go back to the physical, then we'll go to the spiritual. What is God doing in this text here, right? Now, wouldn't it be awesome, just like the humility thing, you go to Walmart, you dump a can on your head, and all of a sudden it's there. It doesn't work that way. Wouldn't it be awesome that somehow you could get buff like that physically, right? If you could just push a button, huh? And, and poof, yeah, right? Or, or you just click on the mouse, right? Move over there and just uh, download a program and boom, there you are. It just, somehow it just pops right out there. Uh, wouldn't it be awesome if you just wake up one day and you just rolled over and it's like, whoa, what's that lump? Oh, that's my arm. Wow, it's massive. Overnight, I just blew up. And it doesn't work that way. How do you physically get strong even to that point? Discipline every single day. Hard work again and again and again and again and again and again and you can't quit and it's consistency and it's every single day day in day out a lot of work hard work and then the payoff comes down the road it's the same thing when it comes to spiritual warfare this is what god was doing with peter he's not trying to torture him but he knew it was coming. This is God's way of developing Peter's spiritual mu muscles and us today. Every day, yes, it's tired. No, here it comes again. Every day I get out of bed, I got to keep saying, no, oh, no, not that one, oh, this one. How many times? I got to go down, I got to go this. Right. And you keep up, you keep saying no, you keep resisting, you keep doing that. And next thing you know, hey, I got to wear baggy clothes to hide this buff. You know, you, that's how you get spiritually strong. That's how you grow up. And this is what God is doing. He's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to get us consistently every day to say, build those muscles. Exercise. Exercise by saying, no. No. No, I'm not going to do it. No. And, that, and you get stronger. And you know what? The more times you say no, guess what? The easier it gets. Right? The more times you say yes, you go backwards. And you become a spiritual weakling. How many times does God have to give us something? And we may not get it at first, but we realize that's the best thing he could have ever given to me. I came across this this week. This is awesome. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. This is a, a lady, a Christian in Africa. Watch what God did for her. She said, I was born in a family which was relatively religious. And I was baptized, but not with really knowing Jesus Christ. To me, baptism was just a simple formality. And going to services was a part of my Sunday duties. In fact, she said, in my daily life, there was no difference between my so-called Christian life and the life of the world. I was addicted to many bad thoughts and bad behaviors and, and contrary to what God would say. But one day, one of my Christian friends, a real Christian named Christine, she said, invited me to an evangelistic meeting. She would always invite me to prayer and to Bible studies and other meetings, but I would never go. But this time, I went ahead and gave in just to please her. She said, well, much to my astonishment, I enjoyed the wonderful ambiance. It was, it was extraordinary, she says, to find, listen, a group of Christians who were all radiant with God's joy, singing beautiful praises that expressed their love for him and the goodness towards him, you know, being real Christians. And she said, when the preaching of the word began, I suddenly felt a great burden come upon me. I, I realized I needed to become a child of God. My life flashed before me. I realized that I had been a false Christian. My life was not reflecting the will of God. 
And soon I realized that I was lost and I needed to become a Christian. I needed to get saved. So she said, when the preacher exhorted the sinners to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I immediately went up forward and asked Jesus Christ to save me, to forgive me, to make me his child. Listen, and as I did, all of a sudden, she said, listen, incredible joy and peace flooded my heart. I went back home. I, I began to speak about my new experience to my husband and my children. My children were excited to hear what I had to say, but my husband... He became offended by my words. He began to rebuke me harshly, and he told me I better change my mind. I says, I can't go back. I will not renounce Christ. And then he said, he got so infuriated with me, she said that he, he took my house key and exploded and said this, without this key, you will no longer stay in this house. I command you to go away from me. You will only be able to come back to this house when you find this key. So she said, immediately I went back to Christine's house and I spent the night there and, and she exhorted me to just trust God and with all my heart, with whom all things are possible, we prayed and, and we went to bed. She said, the next morning I got up and, and Christine encouraged me to visit the brothers at that evangelistic meeting that I, I got saved at and they encouraged me with Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good for those who love him according to his purpose. And they began to pray for me, and they prayed for me, and they prayed for my husband, they prayed for my children, and they asked for God's favor that the key might be found. Well, once the prayer was finished, I and Christine, we went back to her house, and I was helping her to prepare lunch, and this young Christian man named Landry, who was a fisherman, he, he arrived carrying a large carp, nearly 50 pounds on his shoulders. And he came right up to me, and he said, my sister, may you be blessed in Jesus Christ. Listen, he said, I freely give you this carp. Bear in mind that it is a gift from God for you. I thought, wow, that's an extraordinary generosity. And I, I scarcely believed my ears. And so after Landry went away, Christine and I, we began to scale the fish. And, and then we opened up the belly of the fish to clean the, the insides out. And upon I saw a key. And not just any key, but it looked exactly like the key to my house. She said, I know it's incredible, but it's true. She said, my key was inside the belly of a fish. And I looked at Christine. She says, look, Christine, that's my key. That's the key to my house. So she said, I immediately ran back to my house. I'm praising God, and I get there, and my children are glad to see me, but my husband, he's still very angry, and he asked why I had returned. So I popped it out. I told him I had found the key inside the belly of the fish, whereupon he began to weep through tears. She said, he explained to me, when you left, I challenged your God, and he won the challenge. I took that key, I threw that key into the river, and today God used a fish to show me his power and his purpose. He said, I want to become a child of God like you. And she said, at that moment, I was totally overwhelmed by emotion. I, I saw my husband completely humbled, determined to follow the Lord. Listen, in fact, that evening, my husband and all five of my kids all publicly received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the next morning, which just happened to be a Sunday morning, I and all my family were baptized in the Sangha River, the most important river in Cameroon, where the key had been thrown. And she said, now today, my husband, my children, and I all belong to God, all because the love of God was manifested in the belly of a fish. Sincerely, the Imulundu family in Cameroon, Africa. It really happened. How many times, Christian, do we go through things? How many times, Christian, do we go through events and we say, God, why? How come I don't get this? Why are you doing this? Even with temptation, man, here it comes again. Why? He's not the author, but why God doesn't stop? Maybe 
It's one of the best things you could ever have. One guy puts it this way. I love this way. He says, I asked for God, and I asked, and God gave me this. I asked for wisdom, but God gave me what? Problems to solve. I, I asked for prosperity, but God gave me brain and brawn to work. I, I asked for courage, but God he gave me danger to overcome. I, I asked for love, but God gave me troubled people to help. I, I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I, I asked for strength, and, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong, and I went over and again and just every single day, and I kept a knowing why and this. And you know what? I received nothing that I wanted, but I got everything I needed. Even when it comes to dealing with spiritual warfare, God is in control. Satan had to ask. And God's not a big meanie. He loves us as his children. But he'll do whatever it takes. Why? I just got saved. I go home to my family and they reject me. My husband kicks me out of the house. Why? Because that was the tool God was going to use to save your whole household. And on and on and on it goes. Christian, don't listen to the evil one. That's what he wants you to think. That what you're going through in life, there's no rhyme or reason. Even the hard times, even the spiritual warfare. Uh, 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 uh. God's in control. And if you think that there's a point in time that somehow God's thrown the key at you, so to speak, lately. And life's giving you nothing but a big old stinky fish day after day after day. Listen, you just stand firm. And you'll see God knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to humble us. He's trying to strengthen us. And the third and last one, he's trying to bless us. He's trying to bless us. I remember Charles Stanley had an illustration, and he talked about uh, cod liver oil. How many guys grew up eating cod liver oil? And I'll say that because it has a serious viscosity towards it. You might as well be chewing on it, okay? <laughs> right? And he talked about how, you know, the, the cod liver oil, in theory, was for our good. It tasted horrible. Okay, it was for our good. But what would we do? Here it comes. Mom's trying to give it to us in that big old tablespoon that apparently they used to dig the farm in the backyard. It was that big. Oh, you know, one of those things. And what are we doing? Ah, get it away. Ah. He says, we slap at the icky tasting cod liver bottle, not realizing that's the very thing that we needed. God sometimes is trying to bless us. Right? And this is what we see uh, in this passage here, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. Paul says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage wars, what? As the world does. Uh-uh. The weapons we fight with are what? It's not the weapons of this world. Not at all. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The way that we deal with hard times, the way that we deal with spiritual warfare, the way that we deal with the enemy is not like the way of this world. It's different. It's spiritual. And the Bible is clear. If we're going to knock down the devil's strongholds, we've got to understand, do not use human methods. They will not work ever. Use God's weapons, not just weapons, God's mighty weapons. Why? Because they work every single time because they come from God. It sounds so simple, but we confuse it, don't we? And folks, I'm telling you, this is going to sound basic, and we're going to get into, Lord willing, starting next week, massive detail. Again, massive detail, the armor of God next week. But did you know one of God's major, awesome, 100% effective, every single time, mighty weapons he gives us as Christians to defeat the enemy every single time? Here it is. It's obedience <laughs> it sounds so simple that's it 
And think about it. The reason why I say it's spiritual, because listen, every time we are obedient to God, we say no to the temptation. We say no to Satan or the demons. We say no to this wicked world system. We say no to the old man's sin nature. No, 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 no. When we say no to that and yes to God, every single time, did you realize it's a reminder to Satan that he's the loser? No, you're defeated. No, Christ is in control. No, I belong to God. Every time we're obedient. This is the spiritual weapons. When we're obedient to God, Satan is reminded. Loser. (laughs) He doesn't want to hear that. He wants to use this to break the heart of God. But when we're obedient, our weapon, our mighty weapon... It's just being obedient. Wouldn't it be awesome, spiritually somehow, that we can give the enemy an uppercut? Anybody looking forward, if we're going to be there, to get to see Satan and the demons chucked into the lake of fire? After all we've been through, all of humanity, ever since the fall, oh, finally. Wouldn't it be great to just come and give him a... Where's Ron? He had muscles. Don, he'll get. Wouldn't it be awesome? Now, we may not see this in the natural, but that's what's happening in the spiritual when we say no to sin and yes to God. You're giving an uppercut. That's the weapon. That's the weapon we fight with, is obedience. So what does the enemy do? Listen, we've talked about this before. All he does is try to get us to think that somehow being obedient to God is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Tell me that's not rampant in our culture. One guy, he puts it this way. Let's take a look. All too often, Satan has convinced people, and particularly young, impressionable people, that boundaries and God's commands are bad and restrictive. And the philosophy, do as thou wilt, or do whatever you want, is good. And Satan is very effective at delivering that propaganda message through television, sports, and rock stars under his control. And that ultimately draws young people away from the authority and protection of their parents, like a wolf would lead a lamb away from the protection of the flock and the shepherd, so that he can attack and devour him when he's unprotected and vulnerable. It's so vital that you understand this message. God's laws are instructions to protect, not restrictions to hinder. They bring pleasure. They don't take it away. Think of God's laws like a cage around a parakeet. In a perfect world, the parakeet would be the safest and freest outside the cage in an open environment. But it's not a perfect world, is it? And so the bars of the cage are not so much to keep the parakeet in as to keep the dangers of an imperfect world out. So it is with the bars of God's laws. They're not designed to keep you from fun and enjoyable things. They're in place to keep dangerous and harmful things from destroying your lives and souls. I've said it before. I've said it until I'm blue in the face. Name one command in all of Scripture that's bad for us. Not one. God's never been hung up on rules. You know when a bunch of rules came into play? When sin entered the picture. 
Why? Because sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys 100% of the time. So out of love, what does God do? He starts building the cage of commands. Not to restrict us, but to protect us. But what does the enemy do? Look at that cage! Wouldn't it be much funner if you broke out of that cage? Isn't that boring? Are you sick and tired of this cage? It's much funner over there. I mean, look at those people. How come you got to sit here? What kind of God would restrict you like that? When he's actually trying to protect us. How is it a blessing? When I go through temptation, it's when I realize that being obedient to God and saying yes to him is not only for my good, but it's a weapon that I get to shut the mouth of the enemy. That's a blessing. So in closing, what do you do? What do you do if that's you? If you've actually been tricked and you, 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 you're, you're here, you're here today and, and you're a Christian, maybe, and, but you got this lazical, daisical attitude towards sin. That's a light, no big deal, yeah, whatever. So you, you gave up the fight a long time ago. And you're, you're guilty of this traitor's behavior. What do you do? I don't know your heart, but God does. You can fool me, but you can't fool him. The first thing I would suggest is you need to check your heart and make sure that you're a Christian in the first place. I, I didn't say that. Paul did. Listen to what he said. Titus 1, 15 through 16. Everything's pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and their consciences are defiled. Such people claim they know God. I'm a people. Romans 2, back to that. I belong to God. I'm a child of God. I know the law of God. I go to church service. I do this stuff. Look, they claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are despicable. They're what? Disobedient and worthless for doing anything good. I don't know how far you can go. Christian, we know we can blow it, myself included. Amen? How far can you go with this attitude? So what? So I got all the external trappings, but I got nothing going on inside of the car. I mean, I show up to church services. I do religious stuff. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, I blow it. No big deal. How far can you go? And it's actually a sign. The reason why you're thinking that is because you never got born again in the first place. I don't know. I know there's a category. That's just one. But my point is this. Why would you even flirt with that line? That doesn't make sense. But let's go to the other one. What if you are a Christian? You're not like Judas. Where was Judas? He wasn't a Roman soldier. He wasn't working in the government. He wasn't just some passerby. Judas was what? He was, he was right there. And he wasn't just right there. He was right there in the inner circle. And the whole time he was a traitor. He was fake. How far can you push that? I don't know. But, but, but let's, say, let's say you are a Christian. And, and, and you, you've got to that point. And what do you do? Well, you do what Jesus said to Peter. You need to repent. You need to ask for God's forgiveness. You need to get right with God. You need to turn back to Jesus. You need to get back to serving him and loving him like when you first got saved. And folks, that happens. 
I, you've heard me say this before. I believe that one of the biggest problems in the American church today is because the American church is flooded with so many fake Christians. And I mean even behind the pulpit. It's that messed up. I don't know their heart. But something's going wrong. But we also know that Christians, we can royally blow it. We can get entangled in sin again. Now what? Is it over? No. You repent. You say no. And you run back to Jesus. And what you will find is he will hug you. He'll forgive you. And you just get back to that beautiful relationship again like it used to be. Like this girl did. We'll close in prayer after this.
No need to stay a traitor. It happens, Christian. Sometimes. The enemy sucks us right back. What do you do? You don't have to stay like that. Run back to Christ. Take that first step. Repent. Confess. Hey, he'll bust it right off you. I don't care how many there are. Just turn to him. Don't live like that any longer. Let's be those triumphant Christians for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need to save your, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, 
Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.